Well, my name is Daniel Drensky. Uh, I've met uh, different people in the audience through different walks of my artistic career. I started out as a photographer uh, about 15 years ago. And then slowly as um, you know, video was integrated into digital cameras, I decided to test it out. And about, you know, I'd experiment here and there, but about nine years ago, uh, Sarah and I really started collaborating and uh, creating videos together. And so I have her to thank for pushing me to do that a little bit more, but just uh, have always loved documentary, taking portraits or uh, telling stories. So that's kind of evolved into Explordinary and what we do today. Um, so my name is Sarah Reyes. Uh, my background is actually in architecture. I uh, started in that profession. And when I was going to grad school, I asked Daniel if he could get me a camera so that we could uh, go to visit different graduate programs and I could just take pictures to capture the journey. Uh, what eventually wound up happening is um, people thought that we were travel photographers <laughs> and we wound up getting so much business that I got to a point where um, the part-time thing became a full-time thing. I wound up quitting my job at the firm and Daniel and I have been working together uh, ever since. And my name is Sean Starr and I feel silly even saying that after what we just watched. So um, <laughs> they did a great job of um, explaining my background and what I do and uh, very appreciative that you guys all came out to see their film. Well, I guess to, to get started, I will start with how did this come about? How did uh, this project come into existence? Uh, well, our, our, our friendship goes back to, um, what was that, 2017? Yes. They were hired to do a, a story the Dallas Observer was doing on my studio. And we just immediately hit it off. And um, that turned into going on camping trips together. And um, in 2019, uh, actually it was a late 2018, I got a call from a friend who uh, was, is a photojournalist. And he said, I'm going to Nepal and um, shooting this story. And one of the guys dropped out, would you like to go ride motorcycles in Nepal? And of course I was 100% in. And uh, so, the, the trip that you see in the film, I actually took a very similar trip in early 2019. And um, so when I got back from that trip, uh, I had lunch with these guys in Dallas and uh, kind of gave them the, the download of, you know, what I experienced. And um, I could tell they were as excited and as, as enthusiastic about what I was describing, especially since we had so many conversations uh, over the years about, you know, handcrafted work and the importance of preserving that. And so I, I asked them, I said, if, if we can somehow put things together, would you guys be interested in going out there and shooting a doc about the, the people out there and the handcrafted work? And uh, they, they were 100% in. And um, within just a matter of months, one thing fell into place after another. And so we ended up going out there at the beginning of 2020. Yeah, so why don't you, uh, Sarah and Daniel, talk a little bit about that. So starting shooting in 2020, like, obviously we know what happened in 2020, and then how did the prog project progress from there? How did you get through it all? And to obviously now, it's a little over three years later, finally getting everything finished up. 
Well, first of all, every time I see that uh, scene in the village of Sean doing the dance, if I would have met him in 2017 and just said, hey, I think uh, in a few years, I'm going to film you doing a dance with <laughs> the Megar tribe in the Himalayas, like he would have looked at me like I was crazy. That, that or he would have been like, let's go tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, basically, uh, we... Uh, embarked on the trip in February, like the last day of February 2020. COVID was starting to be a thing, but not really world spread yet. And um, left on the trip, and we're planned to be out there for two weeks. And uh, just question uh, in the microphone. Oh, okay. And basically, uh, knew that we had a list of artisans. Didn't even really know which order it was going to be in. Um, but we just would capture every day. And sometimes we would mic up Sean to interview them, like you saw with the Tonka painter. Sometimes we'd only mic uh, the artisan that we were interviewing because their interview needed to be translated anyway. So it was just like capturing all this footage and not really thinking about the order it was gonna go in until later on. But um, first and foremost, kind of just enjoying this crazy expedition together as these these Texans that were placed in um, just this random part of the world and beautiful and to uh, come back after COVID and the world was totally different. It felt like we went through a loophole or something because of all we had experienced. And mm. um, But also to answer your question about what it was like traveling during COVID, when we left, um, there was word that there was this respiratory virus and we knew that it was COVID, but it didn't seem real. Like it didn't seem... Um, like dangerous or anything. And so we kind of took a gamble. Should we go? And everybody, all of our family was like, don't go. And we were like, we're definitely going. <laughs> so we went and it was still uh, maybe a week into the trip that we actually wound up going to the visit the Magar tribe. And we were in the mountains for so long, there was no um, signal. And so it wasn't until we left the mountains and got to our hotel like four days later that the we finally got television, the news, and they were like, Tom Hanks has COVID. <laughs> uh, and reality set in that this is like a bigger deal um, than we initially thought. And uh, in addition to that, Daniel and I were supposed to do another project out in uh, England and then Scotland. Those two got canceled. Uh, we wound up just flying straight home after Nepal. Sean was like, I'll wait it out a week, uh, thinking that COVID would uh, like burn out after a week. And Sean, I'll let you tell that part of the story. Yeah, so my, my wife, Jennifer, and I, we, we had scheduled to go to Varanasi, India for a week after our trip in Nepal. And, um, you know, they left and within, I think, 48 hours, the border got closed, our flights got canceled, everything got locked down. And um, we were there for, um, I think it was about three weeks, maybe. And um, we were very fortunate. There were two. Talk a little closer to the microphone. There, there were two flights um, that were the American embassy flew two groups of people out. And we were lucky enough to be on one of those. Um, thanks to the Dallas Observer, who did a story about us being stuck over there because we later found out that they were trying to pull people out that were getting press coverage so that they wouldn't get negative press coverage. So we got out and about uh, 12,000 other Americans 
um, were stuck behind, um, and some of them for as, as long as a year wow. when the border opened back up. So we were very fortunate to get out when we did, and then, um, yeah, just came home and started trying to figure out uh, what these guys were going to do with all that footage. <laughs> so, so you shot, you had all the footage, you come back, and it's now early 2020. And so what have you been doing for three years with your, (laughs) well, first, I mean, when you have something as big as COVID, you're like, well, we didn't really get anything related to COVID over there footage wise, but it's like, do you go into a whole separate chapter where you talk about that? Or does that kind of stamp it as like a 2020 film, 2021 film, if you do that. So we're back and forth about that. We did uh, zoom uh, Sean and his wife, Jenny, a couple of times while they were in their Airbnb locked down. And we're like, oh, maybe we could use some of that footage of them saying, yeah, we're not allowed to leave the the house. (laughs) Only one person per household has to go to the market and bring us food. And so we're like, how do we do this? So it was just taking time to figure out the puzzle pieces. And a lot of times with documentary filmmaking, you have to like create the puzzle piece before you know, like the shape of the hole that it goes in. So it's like, it's really difficult and you don't have... Uh, the box to look at to see what pattern you're supposed to put that piece in. So you're just creating from scratch sometimes. And also part of the um, the journey of creating this project was the fact that the all of us are just, uh, we have two working studios, full-time working studios. So when we got back, we both kind of prioritized, like we should probably make some money <laughs> in case, you know, everything shuts down. Um, so that was kind of uh, something that was um, took over our businesses for a little bit. But um, after that, it was just all um, our free time. So nights and weekends and uh, both Sean and ourselves were always super, super busy. But Sean, um, Sean also not only did he do all of the music in the film, but all of the titles, those are, some of those are hand lettered, like his actual fonts or like block stamps that he's collected over the years. Um, So every aspect of it had to be handmade, basically. Well, that's very cool. And three years really isn't a long time in the world of documentary filmmaking, (laughs) but I'd like to give you a hard time anyway. (laughs) But one one of the hardest things about making a a film, whether it's a feature or short or anything else in a documentary, is always raising the funds, you know, to put it together. And obviously you spend a lot of your own free time, nights, weekends, editing, things like that. Talk about a little bit about, you don't have to reveal numbers or anything. How did you put this together to actually get everybody to Nepal and shoot that and spend your time there and everything? Talk about a little bit. Um, you know, from a documentary standpoint, how you raise the funds to to put a film like this together. Uh, Sean was essentially the producer to get us over there. And then um, after that, uh, all the editing and I think we went down to his town of uh, Calvert. Um, I mean, maybe a dozen times. There's only <laughs> two or three interviews uh, that you see in the film where you can tell, tell his hair changed or whatever. But um, that was all like sweat equity, just uh, putting that in. Um and we film and edit and everything ourselves. So that, that helped too, to keep it all in house. Um, that's yeah. pretty much covers it. <laughs> it's a, a labor of love, essentially. Yeah, yeah. labor of love. Sure. Well, let's, I, I could ask you guys questions all night, but I'm sure the audience, you guys just watch this great movie. Who has questions, wants to ask Sean or uh, anybody else anything about the film, the film you just saw? Julio? Yeah, I got a question. Uh, 
First of all, congratulations. Oh my God, I feel like I was in a poll. <laughs> and it's great to watch it on the screen yeah, where you're yeah. so close yeah, and it's so big. So close. Uh, the question I have is, both of you, and this is a question for, uh, for Sarah and Daniel, and by the way, you're, you're incredible. Your, your work is incredible. Thank you. Appreciate um, it. But uh, both of you have a way of shooting in a way that it's so seamless. And you've been doing this nine years. How was it in the beginning to where you are today to get to this point where it's so seamless the way you guys shoot? Usually somebody has a certain style of shooting when they handle the camera. You guys have done such a beautiful job. See, it's very seamless, but how long, how long did it take you to get there? Well, thank you, Julio. We really appreciate that. First of all, it's a great compliment. Um, I think, uh, like, lens and camera selection we kind of i don't know like to be able to shoot um if i knew i needed to get wide stuff i would put a wide on my camera and then have sarah get coverage or the detail shots or i mean i don't know how do we really dictate like <laughs> well i would say like any of the big motion shots that require like big arms are probably <laughs> Daniel. Gimbal. And a lot of the shots that are like low to the ground are probably myself. <laughs> um, but in turn, like, I mean, I know by looking at his camera, like what he's shooting and the lens kind of tells me what kind of composition he's got. And so I will kind of uh, try to complement that or um, I don't know, I guess like Daniel is anybody who knows Daniel knows that he's a maximalist, like more is more. And I'm kind of like more of a minimalist. So um, that's kind of also how we frame our subjects. So it's it, it pairs really well because you do always want to see overall like a wide kind of shot to establish everything. And then the closer up shots are usually mine, I would say. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> and it was just years of uh also um looking like coming back on you know let's say year one of shooting and being like oh you uh we kind of moved too fast of a pan on that shot let's do better next time or just like constantly improving to where we were both on the same page and it's like now it's like seamless and totally unspoken like we just know okay you go get this angle and then i'll shoot from it's like well we don't say anything we just kind of like drift into it like ninjas you know <laughs> and Sean, can you talk a little bit about what's it like being the, the subject of a, of a documentary, essentially? You know, it's, it's you that's on screen that they're focusing on the whole time. Was that a little different for you? Have you been the subject of a documentary before? Talk about like that, the experience in general of you know, sort of telling your story that you really brought together. It, it's weird and uncomfortable, <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, I, I was... Um, one of the artists featured in a documentary about 10 years ago called Sign Painters, which actually they screened here at Texas Theater as well. Um, and yeah, it doesn't ever feel normal or okay. <laughs> it feels very strange, but, um, and I think they can attest to this, even though they're always on the other side of the camera. You know, we, we all just felt so strongly about telling that story of what, was in Nepal and what, what we all experienced that you kind of just, you know, try to step away from your own, you know, the own weirdness in your head of seeing your face, you know, 15 <laughs> feet tall or whatever, and just go back to, yeah, but this is a really important story because culturally, especially as we move more towards, you know, digital, um, 
you know, there's just so many things that are at risk of being lost that really connect people. And uh, that's, you know, for me personally, why I felt it was so important to kind of put myself out there with this. Yeah, it was really great. And when watching it, it made me think almost like, this could be a Netflix series, Art is Love, Chile and Nepal and you know. we've got ideas. Yes. Yeah, I, I figured. It was, it, 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 yeah, exactly. It feels like it has that kind of setup that it could go on and it can be a whole series. And this could be a great proof of concept to show someone to say, "Hey, look what we can do. Look what we did with no budget. Imagine if you just gave us a little bit of something. You know what we could put together." Well, so. if, you, if you know anyone, call them. <laughs> well, good content can be hard to find. <laughs> With filming internationally, um, can you talk about the process of that and um, the concept of release forms overseas, um, as well as, uh, I guess, just the cultural etiquette or things that y'all have to learn to be respectful to the, the natives and everything? You talk about your kit. That's a good How question. The, all the kit got back. Well, uh, I think it definitely helped. I think all these uh, shows you see on like Netflix, they'll have like a fixer that goes and sets those things up beforehand. And uh, we didn't have the luxury of having an extra fixer and a tour guide. So the this woman, Susan, you see on screen was our fixer, was our tour guide. So she set up all that stuff beforehand for us and it made it uh, a lot easier, a lot more seamless so that they weren't like, oh, who are these Americans with cameras? Get out of here. <laughs> like they were all comfortable with the camera. She assured them that um, this was going to be widely seen or lead to good things for them. Some of them we did pay extra. So, I mean, that really helped rather than just going in with a camera. Cause we have tried even, um, you know, in a small town, uh, elsewhere in America, it's like, if they can tell you're an outsider, sometimes they'll shut you down. So if you're able to, uh, connect with someone local and befriend them and they'll be the, the gatekeeper, the one that lets you through the gate. Do you want to talk about your kit, like the constructing the kit? Well, so essentially also in terms of shooting um, internationally, uh, there's, you know, so many like pieces of luggage that you can take with you. And we really didn't want to take on like giant Pelican cases or anything like that. So we put all of our fit, all of our gear into like two giant suitcases and so that's like lights, cameras, uh, tripods, uh, gimbal, drone, um, all of that. And we kind of like had to fit our clothes into like a tiny little shoebox <laughs> of a space. And like Daniel actually like forgot all of his socks somehow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were washing the same tattered Wait, you socks. You can buy socks in Nepal though, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it was, uh, that was also just so that we wouldn't have to be carrying so much gear because you really, when you're going out into those remote areas, the weight is a huge deal because if we were to load down our vehicle with too much extra weight, those hairpin turns, those curves, like you might just go off the edge of the cliff as well. So there, there were weight restrictions um, and you know we had to also pack all of our camping gear um, so it was complicated and it was like a very minimal setup. Like we would have preferred to take more lenses, uh, more equipment, but that wasn't, just wasn't an option. 
and just overall, that's the beauty of uh, Sarah and I working together as such a small team is like it, first of all, it doesn't uh, intimidate the subject where they're freaking out because there's like 10 people around. And I do know that um, sometimes for these productions, that's necessary. They have a lighting tech and like a photographer's assistant, all this stuff. But when when we're able to go into a situation and if the person's already nervous of a camera and we're just like, no, no, Sean, it's just me. It's just, it's just me. <laughs> you know, like comfort the subject a little bit. It makes it a lot easier. Well, and what about audio capture as well? Because obviously your audio is pretty clean. So oh, and that's, that can be one of the hardest parts with a small crew. We uh, did uh, like synthesizer lav mics. And so I wish I had the Rode and the DJI now um, to not have to deal with the wires and like the AA batteries for the receiver and the transmitter and the Zoom recorder. <laughs> so I'm so grateful for these uh, all-in-one kind of Rode and DJI mics. But yeah, it was all lav mics. Uh, the conversation um, with the paper maker, which we really love when he's talking about the impermanence of life. I think I had already taken his mic off so I just had the shotgun mic on my camera and I was like, uh-huh, like keep talking. But I had a super wide lens, so I was able to get the two shot with Sean and the paper maker in there still. But I was like, dang it, we took his mic off, but don't, don't interrupt him now. You know? <laughs> That's great. Okay, more questions. In the back up there. Uh, okay. uh, first of all, I'd like to congratulate uh, uh, Sean Star, Daniel, and Sarah. I'm from Nepal, my name is Mohan. I've been here since '96. Now is uh, uh, we are proud to see the movie, and uh, we are about hundred thousand uh, in Texas, uh, wow. Nepali American community. One day, uh, you guys we gonna have a uh, recognized to you if you provide your information. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we'd love to come screen this for the Nepali community. So let us know. We'll, we'll talk to you afterwards. And there was another question right up there as well. Thank you. Um, so I guess for me, this entire project made me realize that the highest form of self-expression is creativity. And there's so many facets to that, you know, like you could be creative at cooking, at cleaning, at business, at being an entrepreneur, at, um, fine arts. Um, but I do feel like the highest form of self-expression is creativity and the highest form of connection with community is collaboration. And so um, I do feel like this collaboration between myself and Daniel and Sean is just such a special moment because um, in the film, some of the clips go back all the way to when we first met him seven years ago. So it's kind of like a, a portrait of our friendship as well. Mm-hmm. As far as existentially, uh, I don't know if everybody caught. Okay, so there's Pashipatinath, uh, which is the Hindu temple um, where Hindus are like honored to have 
their body cremated when they die. And we were on the gots, as they call them, where they stack up the wood and uh, put the body there and ignite it. And when I would see uh, after the wood had burned all the way down, the ashes were left and somebody would come up with a bucket of water and just clear the ashes. And it was just like, oh, my God, like we're not here forever, you know, and we really have to enjoy and travel and meet people and just enjoy life. And so experiencing that the rest of the, and that was like right before the moto expedition. And then we went up into the mountains and um, it was just like, and so again, like coming back and COVID had changed the world. I was like, did I go through some kind of time warp or loophole? Cause my, my brain is like different now. Mm. Yeah. Um, Closer, I, Sean. I, I think Sarah really touched on it with the collaboration thing and how, um, you know, you really see this um, when you collaborate with other creatives and, you know, th there's this stages where you're, you're starting out as like friends. And I think for so many creative people, um, there's a feeling of isolation. You know, you, you question your sanity on a regular basis and, you know, your way of seeing the world. And when you end up uh, connecting with someone else who's creative, that, you know, there's kind of like this common language that develops where it's like, oh, wait a minute, they get what I'm saying and I'm getting what they're saying. And so that that's what evolved over the last seven years was, you know, I had some idea that I might not even really be able to, to get out of my head uh, about how I felt about, you know, uh, traditional craftsmanship or um, some of these other, you know, larger concepts um, uh, dealing with, you know, Eastern philosophy and those kind of things. And they would pick up on and be like, hey, wait, 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 like, let, let's, let's start over, talk more about this. And, you know, they brought that out, um, something that if I was just, you know, kind of floundering on my own, I, I wouldn't have been able to do. And there's this kind of moment where, you know, I, I, I view our, our friendship and collaboration as like gone through these stages of like, uh, you know, friendship to close friends. And, you know, now there's this intimacy of, of like a family type connection that's just really valuable to me. And it has made working on this was a real pleasure because of that. I wanted to ask you about the motorcycle riding because mm -hmm. obviously, you know, from the shots that you see, it looks pretty sketchy and dangerous <laughs> as it is. And I haven't rode a motorcycle in a long time. Last time I rode a motorcycle, I was in an accident. And so what's it like, you know, when you're just on the edge of a cliff like that? I mean, it literally looks like one inch and then you're, you're gone, you know, talking just about that experience in general. Well, um, it's, it's odd. It's, it's one of the things that I feel like the, the filming couldn't fully capture yeah. because there's just, there's the, these turns and these spots where you're just stopping for a little break and you like, you look over and I go, Oh my God, what am I doing? So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, super intense, but, you know, there's also something so uh, thrilling about that and exciting that, you know, you, you do things that might not be in your best interest, but how do you not do it? Yeah, when, uh, when you said that was the easy ride, I, I can't even imagine what the hard ride actually <laughs> yeah, it's Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, um, Vishu is like this Superman of motorcycling, um, you know, we, we, we talked to some of the other um, Sherpas in his team and they would just talk about him like kind of baffled because he would go 
to some of these remote villages, some of which don't even show up on maps, but he would drive sometimes 20 or 30 hours at a stretch, you know, going through all of these little villages and going up into the Mustang. And, um, you know, so to him, yeah, it's just like, eh, no big deal. <laughs> but but I want uh, Sarah to talk a little bit about uh, about why we had to do uh, the mention the motorcycle accident as a post credit scene. <laughs> You don't want to talk about it. Well, so basically it was on our very last day of filming and we're kind of like, just like, yeah, we got it all in the can, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, so we, cause I had been filming. Uh, huh? Put the cameras up because it was so bumpy. Yeah, we put the cameras up. It was super bumpy and I had gotten plenty of stuff out the windshield, but then we come around the corner and like Sean's laying in the middle of the road and we actually, we didn't film cause we thought he was dead. So it was like, <laughs> we're like, well, okay. So he's laying in the middle of the road. We come across Sean and his wife, Jenny. We're like, Oh my God. And then the driver's like, Oh my God. And I was like, <laughs> so he stops. We run out and we're standing over Sean like this and he's knocked out. And he opens his eyes and he's like, why aren't you guys filming? <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, ah, are you okay? <laughs> so he was fine. <laughs> um, but that's why, yeah. And then talk a little bit about the uh, Sherpa uh, first aid that they gave you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm disoriented and banged up. And, you know, Jenny's kind of like, freaked out because she's not sure if I'm okay or not. And um, I had scraped up um, my arms pretty good. And um, the, the one guy gets out, uh, one of the Sherpas, and he starts spraying my arm and it was burning. And so I look down and, and he's got a bottle of like, uh, it's spray auto wax. And he's spraying it on my arm. And I'm just like, I don't understand what's happening. But um, I've got this weird white patch on my tattoo on my arm because it healed weird so i don't, I don't know if that's the wax or what <laughs> does the water just roll off it does yes uh, you take a shower it's very shiny yeah <laughs> um we had a question right here yeah yeah about the motorcycle ride. I, I thought i saw some gopro cameras on the helmet yeah you ended up not using any of that footage? Yeah, all the uh, footage where it felt like it was right behind a motorcycle, that was all GoPro. So it, it looked pretty good on the screen, though. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, so it turned out well. Really good, over the edge shots. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else had. Okay, yeah, we're here. One more question for Sean about the music. You said you did all the music yourself. Yes. So have you been like studying Nepalese or Hindi music? I mean, it was really. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, I, I've, I started playing uh, guitar and other acoustic instruments when I was a teenager, and I've always played music. Um, and we we were discussing music when they were doing editing, and I was I, I approached them. I was like, "Hey, I have this idea. I'd really like to do the music. Um, and if you absolutely hate it, that's totally cool." But I'd, I'd like to at least, you know, give you guys a couple of things and see if you think it might work. And um, they responded positively, so I just kept going. And um, uh, the, the music that you're hearing is, a, is a, a combination of some of the acoustic instruments that I that I play and um, some electronic music combined. And um, as far as the inspiration, um, 
there's some um, there's some Hindu devotional singers that I like. Uh, uh, like Krishna Das is one that really stands out. And um, having listened to him for several years, I kind of just picked up a vibe of, of what I wanted it to sound like that kind of was mixed with capturing, um, I don't know how else to put it, but just capturing the feeling that we had there. And so I, I instituted a lot of um, even would record little samples and things, some samples from over there of things that I could incorporate into the songs that would capture some of that feeling and some of the chaos that's like in Kathmandu. Um, you know, it's super noisy, but some of that noise is really beautiful. So I tried to work as much of that into those, those songs as I could. And it's free to stream, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's on all the streaming stuff under Blue Throat. I was going to say, uh, music can be one of the most expensive things in post-production for a film. So <laughs> I'm sure you guys were very appreciative yes. of uh, yes. Sean doing the music. <laughs> um, yes, very enjoyable video. Um, I've been waiting for it for a while. Thank you. Yes, so I would like to say that if anybody does want to visit Nepal, it is such an easy place to visit because um, as you could uh, tell from the film, there's so many people that speak English. Tourism is um, big in Nepal and so everybody, almost everybody that's working kind of in the tourism field, so the uh, hotels or the shops, almost everybody speaks English. And even the, in the village in Gulmi, I don't know if you noticed the little kids, they were practicing yeah. their lettering. It was like in English. Um, so it's a very easy place to go and talk to people, get around. The most expensive thing is like your ticket over there. And then from there on, you can um, enjoy like the finest hotels, the best food, at, like the most reasonable rates. Um, I, if anybody would like to visit, we can connect you with um, Susan, our guide, or if you want to go on an adventure, motorcycle adventure, like Vishu, we can give you his information. <laughs> He's awesome. You're starting a side business? Uh, <laughs> uh, Brokerage firm. Nepal Travel yeah. Company. Uh, but yeah, I would say if anybody's interested, it's, it's a great place to, to go. I don't have anything to add to that, but yeah, I, I agree. You should go. And you get, you stop over in Dubai as well, which Sean learned from his first trip. Like, uh, instead of just waiting in the airport for our layover, like, let's go to the markets and explore Dubai. And it's totally safe for tourists and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that's another thing is Nepal is incredibly safe. Um, we never had to worry about our cameras, our gear, walking around with anything. Um, it's such a safe place, and yeah, I highly recommend it. All right. Merced? Yeah. Great job, you guys. Oh, thank you, Merced. Question about your process, because uh, I'm very curious. Can you speak um, up a little bit? Yeah, I have a question about your process, because I'm, I'm very curious, because I work as a narrative filmmaker, and as you, as the saying goes, right, like you start on the page, and then um, in production, things inevitably change, and then in post, they end up finally being finalized, right? So things change, right? And you process. I'm curious, is that the same for documentary filmmaking? Like, how do you find the story? Like, 
were you going into it expecting one thing and then by the time you got there it became something different and then you were editing and just found a whole new angle mm -hmm. So if you couldn't hear, he was he was asking, how did the story really come about? Did it change from what they initially thought at the beginning when they started making it to what that final piece was? And in post-production, story changes a lot, especially in documentary. So just how did, how did that work for you guys in the process? Yeah, I would say there's been many iterations of the film. Um, we started out by kind of tackling each subject individually. So there are long-form versions of pretty much every art form um, and just culling it down. And we actually, two of our friends, uh, Hadi Mawagdi, who's here today, uh, he's uh, helped us so much by like kind of just reviewing our edits. And um, uh, he's a producer of podcasts. So he's like really great at editing. And Robert Weiss also is another amazing documentary filmmaker. Um, he's watched it as well and gave us his feedback. So it's a kind of a, a community process. It's like you, we get it down to uh, what we feel like um, is as close as possible to what we're trying to say. We involve friends um, or other talented people to help us uh, pare it down even more. And I really, I really feel like it's similar to when you watch a potter like start to shape a pot on the the wheel, like. When you just see that lump there, you're like, "What? how is this going to turn into something beautiful? And it's like, as you're starting out making the film, you have your footage, you're like, oh, oh this, this 10 seconds is beautiful. Let me put that aside. And then, um, you know, there's some projects where you just be like, man, I just don't have enough. But this was just such an epic trip. And we had so much beautiful footage that we did think about if there was anything we didn't capture while we were over there, um, story-wise or like with narration we're like okay we need to re-interview sean and get him to like basically form that clay vessel some more like just to refine it because we really know this is an important story so anything we missed in the the fury of being over there and filming we like made up for with narration later but it it really was that analogy of uh creating a puzzle piece from scratch with no reference photo you're just like I need to create this piece, but I don't know quite how it's going to fit in. But yeah, it was a long process. <laughs> I feel like I've ignored this side of the room because my back. Yeah, who's way. got a so, question sorry. over here? Anybody Let's over see. here? We have questions from this side of the room anywhere. Get Bart Weiss right there. What do you got? Bart's got one. <laughs> well, it's not really a question or comment. Uh, first of all, really wonderful film. Um, a lot of times when I see documentaries with drones, they are gratuitous shots <laughs> that mean nothing and just like I bought a drone, I want to show it to you. <laughs> all of the drone shots really told the story well. They're really Thank beautiful, they were well placed, well thought out, and it wasn't a gratuitous drone shot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bart was happy there were no gratuitous drone shots. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else over here, up here? And I'll come back to you. Go ahead. The appreciation of the culture that y'all shared, um, it, it really came out, especially with uh, the cameos of y'all partaking in the, the different uh, ceremonies and everything. And I actually have a question for you, Sean, because you know you live in Calvert, um, city of 929. Um, can you share your story about how you got into spirituality? Because that is just so unique. Um, just someone living in a small town to be so open and 
I loved how you had the conversation with the driver about uh, the vitamins and everything. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah, um, so uh, we moved to that town five years ago. Before that, we were in Denton. Um, and um, when I met Jenny, my wife, um, she lived in the ashram in Denton. There's an ashram um, there. And um, about two years before uh, Jenny and I met, um, I had gone through a, a big life change and um, kind of semi-reluctantly uh, agreed to go to a yoga class <laughs> and um, it, it shook me up because there, there were there were things that were changing about myself very rapidly just doing yoga and then that led to um, getting initiated into a meditation practice and um, there was so much uh, positive change happening in my life that um, you know when that starts happening and it's kind of unexpected then you want to learn as much as you can about like what is this and and why are these things happening and um yeah so that that's what i did and then when uh when jenny and i uh got together we decided to um i i had, I had for quite a few years wanted to find a place where i could set up my art studio um kind of a live work situation in an old you know building and so we ended up uh purchasing a, a building that was built in 1869 in this little town and it's uh the reason we chose this town is it's um centrally located between houston dallas and austin where i have clients between the three and um so that's what got us down there and uh jenny uh teaches yoga classes she's been teaching yoga for many years and teaches classes down there and uh, yeah we've just got our little bubble that we live in down there now yeah. okay way in the back yeah so i know the ethos of extraordinary is to explore the ordinary and find the extraordinary yeah <laughs> yeah for years now you've been documenting artists in north texas and artists coming through north texas in both video and photography why is it that concentrating on makers is such an important aspect of your storytelling. Mm -hmm. Hadi Muagdi, good God, man, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> I recognize that voice. <laughs> I'll let you take it first of all, and then I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think that there is something so authentic about somebody who it it takes a lot of. Um, gall to be an artist. It takes a lot of um, courage to put stuff out there um, and to risk being uh, judged or criticized. And typically what happens throughout an artist's career is, you know, pe people start off um, doing what they love and then they receive some sort of criticism and then some people kind of like, fizzle out of that trajectory. But the artists that do that long-term, there's something so authentic and so real about people that do that. And uh, I'm talking about like any art form. Um, so whether it's architecture, whether it's design, whether it's um, you know painting like what Sean does, whether it's cooking, you know, anything like that, uh, you really have to be so authentically yourself to be successful that I, I find that um, the message there 
I guess ultimately the message that I'm interested in is authenticity. Um, so maybe that's why we, we or I personally focus a lot on creators or cr people creating things um, because I think it's, it's kind of like this vulnerable space that not a lot of people occupy. And so I think there's, it's, to me, it's something worth training the lens on. <laughs> and I just, it's so, so much fun to be a fly on the wall and, and see things be created, you know, especially like she was saying, somebody that's masterful at their craft to just watch them effortlessly, like to watch Sean pinstripe those cars or throw that gold leaf on like it's nothing. I mean, to be able to film that, then you're, you're only concerned with, it's like similar to a director working with an actor, except they're got to be like, uh, you didn't quite nail it that time. But when the, the actor, essentially the artist is perfect and all you have to worry about is, is my lighting right? Is, is this movement look good? I mean, it's just so much fun and uh, we, we really love what we do. Great. Other questions at the top there? Questions for Sean. Um, I'm curious, um, was there a big shift in your influence of your art from your trip and also the type of clients that you were, who were drawn to work with you after the trip? Um, hmm. I think probably the, the biggest influence that um, probably shifted for me uh, artistically was just um, there's an opulence to the artwork in Nepal. Um, you go and tour through those temples and uh, the craftsmanship is just, um, it's breathtaking. And some of it's just so, so old. And um, I think that, that, that when you're exposed to that kind of thing um and and you you're you're also working in some form of craftsmanship or, or artistry that um it really pushes you to um to kind of want to level up to that and so I, I have seen a difference in my work as far as aesthetically um I, I don't know that there's anything directly but i'm sure there's a lot indirectly that is you know making its way in after that experience all right, we're going to do two more questions. We'll wrap up, and then I'm sure they'll be happy to chat with you more once we yeah. wrap the official Q&A as well. Any, any more questions? Yeah, over here. I just uh, was wondering how many documentaries you'll have done, and what's next? <laughs> this is our, this, we do so many uh, short stories, whether, um, and that's how we're able to turn our passion to our profession, because it's like, oh, a certain brand needs an artist short story or like a artist mural documented. And so we've done so many short films, but this is only our second uh, feature film that's over an hour long. Um, but all that uh, knowledge from doing the short form stuff, even if it's corporate work has like just kind of poured into this and uh, trained us how to, to make longer form. So officially only two, yeah. but we're just always working. Here again, let's see no, that's good. It's Ari. Say something to Ari. She's like, no, it's two. I don't have anything there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, one more. Sean, you said during uh, the idea for the mural came during the meditation. Can you describe that moment and like, the feeling that allowed you to pull the trigger on that one? Uh, yeah, um, I had just uh, maybe 
three weeks prior to that had had the conversation um, with Vishu about the school and, um, you know, immediately started trying to figure out, okay, what, what do I want to do out there? And um, I, I really wanted to, to, you know, express something that was kind of universal and was kind of struggling with that for about three weeks. And then um, just in, in a meditation session, it just popped in my head uh, that art is love and love is eternal. And just kind of kept playing with that in my mind and was thinking, is that true? Do I really believe that that's true? And is that something that I would, would really want to, you know, put out there, especially with, you know, the school and the kids and all that and came to the conclusion that, yeah, I, I really do believe that that is true. And I, and I think everybody that works creatively um, is really giving of themselves in a way that is truly an expression of love. And um, that love is, is just constantly uh, echoing um, once we put something out there, whether it's a painting or a film or uh, music or anything else. And, and, that, and, and that's what connects us. That's what, uh, those are the things that resonate with us. And, you know, when you pare everything down, it's, we're all about our stories and the stories that we share with each other. And those things are eternal because that, that's truly what being human is to me. Can you tell them about how it's available I was going to say that sounds like a great way to finish, but okay, if you want to keep going. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> well, this is what the filming was like. <laughs> can you tell them about how it's available for anybody to use on the website? Oh, yeah. So we had discussed this as well. Um, I decided to take the artwork um, that you see in the film uh, that I painted on the school, and we made that Creative Commons. Um, so that anyone could download it. And, and we've already got a couple of artists, including one in Nepal, who's um, working with Vishu to get out to some other areas to paint that same message. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're hoping that people will take that upon themselves to, um, you know, interpret that artwork in their own way. Uh, but to also, I, I think it's a really positive, important message to um, put out there. Well, I guess we should ask then, what, what's next for the film? Where does it go from here? Where can people see it? If, if they have friends that did not see it tonight, how can they see it again next? What are the distribution plans? Uh, we don't know about distribution yet, but we definitely, uh, so this uh, whole experience and getting the film to where we really liked it uh, caused us to create what's called the Art is Love Project. And so we have artislovproject.com and all the infos on there, um, including about screenings, um, and the, the downloading of the mural to be able to do that. So it's all um, on there. And we did intentionally call it Art is Love, colon Nepal, because we do want to do another one somewhere. So we're just putting this out there. And, and this film uh, is a piece of art that is love. So we're just putting the love out there and seeing what happens with uh, the series and continuing the series. Awesome. Congratulations.